0: It's so scary.
1: Just get ready. 50. (laughs) 49.
0: back coming to you live here from inside the market basket this is renters radio with uh my co-host Evan George and me Lauren pespiza how's it going good except Herb you gave this show the wrong name we're going to get in trouble
2: how
1: so did not we agree we're going to change it up every week a different name <laughs>
0: Anyway, we're Renters Radio. Pay no mind to whatever the title is in this live video. We're here tonight um, talking about a few things uh, going on in the Boston housing scene as well as the Boston arts community. Um, I have a few of rental horror story and then we're going to get into something, a topic of uh, deep sadness and meaning to a lot of you Um which is that they demolished Rug Road this week, and we're going to get into that. I actually did a quick call with somebody, a friend of mine, Mikey Maker, who built his business out of there to talk about how gentrification has affected the artist community in Alston and greater Boston in general. And Evan, you've got a few things to talk about.
1: I do. I get to talk about my favorite thing, taxes. And I promise you I'm going to sex them up. By the end of this show, you're all going to just love taxes.
0: He's talking about sexy taxes over here. All right. Um and you know, uh, like subscribe, join our uh, watch party. I'm about to start it, and we are good to go. If my computer would work,
1: I can't wait to see the name that Herb gave for the uh, the title. I'll, I'll fix it later.
0: <laughs> we will fix yeah, that we'll fix after it. We'll fix production. It
1: we'll fix it on post. Why always say
0: we're still new to this? Um, hopefully things uh, go okay with this phone call, but. Anyway, I actually have been reaching out to people online about their personal experiences with terrible landlords, and uh, gotten a f- quite a few interesting responses. I wanted to read one um, today.
1: Oh, I like the camera with the dual uh, dual thing simultaneous. Yeah, nice, this is
0: pretty cool. All right, it's not working for me. Okay.
1: Oh, that's fine. We're just zooming on Lauren. No big deal. I know. Zoom on me sweating it out
0: here. Oh, looks like my chrome is broken. Okay. Well, shit happens. Show must go on. Anyway, so today I want to talk about first of all, um, terrible landlords and kind of crazy stuff that happens to people in the Boston renter community. Um, I got a really kind of interesting story that uh was sent to me, but I have to keep it anonymous for now. Um so let me get right into it. Now I have a watch party going. Sweet. Did all you right. share it
1: with me? Am I invited to the party?
0: Uh, I'm going to try here.
1: You are the party.
0: Yeah, you pretty much are the party here. Um,
1: you just said that because I buy you all alcohol.
0: Yeah, I know. He brings the beer. I bring the stress. Okay. Now you're invited. All right, we'll figure that out. Anyway, I wanted to read this off because this sounds actually pretty typical for a lot of renters in Boston. And um, I actually got a lot of crazy stories. And it seems like in this case it ended up, you know, no one died. Nothing terrible happened. But it's kind of striking how you can be taken advantage of and, you know, pay your rent on time, be a good renter and still have to go through some really stressful situations. Um so this was submitted by Anonymous. It's about a renter uh, renting in Brighton, and uh, I believe that they are fine now, so it's nothing to worry about. But I do want to pose a few questions at the end about why this is okay. Um, if there's any lawyers listening, please feel free to chime in. So what Anonymous said was, for two years I lived in what was unknown to me an illegal sublet, complete with a falsified lease to make it look legit. When the authorities found out, I had two three weeks to vacate, which what doesn't sound fun. Um, and it was super frustrating. Uh, she was living with a random girl and her husband that she'd found advertising a room for rent on Craigslist. They were broke and 700 a month seemed great in Brighton. I agree. Um, that's not a bad deal, especially for only two roommates. Uh, the fellow that she thought was her landlord gave us a lease that looked legit. I guess he lived in Florida. They never met him. But somehow the building management found out that he was actually the tenant And that their lease was a completely illegal sublet. So the management company gave them three weeks to vacate and put their own tenant in there. Um, From what they remembered, the management company, it was called Marco Reality. I don't know if anyone's familiar with them. But it sounds pretty typical. And, you know, it just, I wonder that if somebody lives in and pays rent in an apartment for two years on time, no problems. Why would a management company even want to kick them out?
1: I would imagine because they want to bring in somebody else who they can charge for more rent. Now, there's something that you see on billboards a lot. So on this show, Lauren and I are going to get this down so that when we give you advice, we know it is the 100% legal advice. But I do know that there's always a saying that we tell renters, and that is a landlord cannot evict you from your home. Only a judge can evict you from your home. And what I mean by that is if your landlord is saying you have to leave in two to three weeks, That's not really a power your landlord has. It does have to go through a court system.
0: But wouldn't you need a lawyer to fight it?
1: In perfect world, yes. (laughs) However, and we're going to plug them after the show. We'll plug them right now. That is why City Life, uh, they get hundreds of these a day. And their constant response is every Tuesday, Jamaica Plain, 7 p.m., no appointment needed. You go and see them. They have lawyers on staff to help you out to answer all these little questions.
0: Well, that's really good. We're definitely going to have to t- get more of their advice for all these horror stories that I've been hearing, and hopefully um, push for more protections for tenants from stuff like this. So I appreciate the story, Anonymous, and I'm yeah, glad it you. ended up working out. Um, but it sounds pretty. It's this is something we've all heard before and had to deal with. So uh, I hope that we can do something about it in the future and push for laws that you know provide public defenders to anyone being evicted. Um, and also press charges on somebody giving you a falsified lease. There was no repercussion for that sketchy landlord. That doesn't make any sense.
1: No, of course not. And also, you said something at the beginning. And so I went to uh, Dorchester office For Sale, a um, housing advocacy group, last Thursday. And there was this uh, group here. I'm going to save it for, like, the victory at the end. But what he talked about was how they use shame to get renters to either give them more money or to leave. Right. And so even just that phrase of, I'm a good renter. It, like, it inflicts this self-pressure of, oh, I have to follow the rules. Even though everyone else, like the landlord, everyone else is in violation. It's like this inward shame of, I'm the one who has to follow the rules. Right. Don't do it. Be a bad renter. Be a bad renter. F them. Be
0: a bad tenant. Kill your landlord. <laughs> 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 um, so another thing that I've been sort of thinking about and wanting to talk about for a while, well, ever since uh, this week um, in my beloved community of Alston – Uh, One of our favorite buildings has recently been demolished. Um, A lot of you may know it as Rug Road. And it's actually one of the reasons I started doing this show and speaking out against gentrification in Boston is because there's been a collective loss of creative artist spaces and basically the heart and soul and community in Boston. And um, Rug Road was one of the epitome of those special spaces in Austin, um after parties art music shenanigans creativity and it was all against this like backdrop of like you know brutalist industrial warehouse space in the heart of Austin. everybody ended up there at some point if they hung out i don't know if you ever <laughs> ended up there
1: i'm not really invited into artist studios you and her <laughs> are going to like up my cred quite a bit in terms of the cool parties they get invited to. I've been hanging out with the same people for 20 years.
0: Okay. Well, if you ever went to like cool local music shows and got invited to after parties or were involved with any sort of creative people in Boston, um, you probably ended up at rug road. It's been around since I think like 1982 and a lot of amazing music art companies have been started out of there and everybody has a story from there. Um, Most, some of us don't even remember a lot of the times we spent there some of, us, some of us got arrested, some of us recorded albums, some of us started companies, and some of us just had epic parties. Um, this week, the building was demolished. There were pictures all over Twitter. And from the rubble, will grow to six-story buildings containing 265 rental apartments and 2,500 square feet of retail space, plus a five-story automated parking garage. Wow. A robot parking garage, if you will. A piece of our hearts has been bought for $31 million. Another part of this complex, which is 30 Penniman Street, was sold for $17.4 million. The property was approved for 46-unit residential condominium building with an above-ground-level parking for 42 vehicles. Six of those units will be income-restricted. And um, it just reminds me of what our friend Dave Tree once said, who's kind of a longtime punk rock legend and promoter of many a show over at Rug Road. Which is that, you know, he said he thinks there has to be a migration out of Boston, Cambridge, and Somerville because by artists and musicians in order to survive because the rents and real estate madness is run amok. No one can afford to be here anymore. I actually, uh, you know, had a lot of friends who have been mourning this online and walking by the building and snapping photos and like getting a lot of feels about it. Um, Tom Tipton from Out of the Blue posted, And another one bites the dust, the world-famous Rug Road Alston, never mind the creative energy that used to flow out of that place. On a personal level, when I first got to Boston back in in 77, that's where I learned how to work on British cars. Seriously, there ought to be a farewell party going on right now in the parking lot.
3: You're my boy, Blue!
0: Right? (laughs) (laughs) And then actually one of my old roommates, Digi, posted about it. Honestly, living in this building, the maze of a hallway and stairs around the warehouse you had to use to get to home base, the smell in the place from cigarettes and dog shit, the hundreds of insane parties with world-class talent, the robberies, the horrendous landlord that sued me for 25000 I-, I knew I loved this place since the time I first came to Space Loft, and the smell of PCP wasn't foul enough to keep me from staying there till the next day watching DJs play in a warehouse in a city I'd previously thought to be entirely sterile. Rest in peace, I'll forever miss this building. So will everyone. I gave out a call to uh, an old friend of mine, Mikey Maker. He actually made this t-shirt. Um, he built his Made in Boston brand out of Rug Road, and he had a few things to say about this that I really appreciate. Let's hope it works. Okay, can you still hear me? I can, yep. Okay, cool. So, um, you know, I've known you for a while, and I know that, you know, started your business made in Boston out of Rug Road when did that start
3: um geez it was almost 10 years ago now 10 years ago almost yeah
0: and how did having access to a space like Rug Road help you
3: I mean it made it all possible really because without that kind of space I couldn't have had the equipment you know I couldn't have that kind of operation going on Um, it was absolutely critical
0: Right, okay. Yeah, definitely. And there was probably a lot of other artists, too, that um,
3: felt that way. Yeah, yeah, there was a community down there, too, you know, and that community also helped me grow and and, and spread. Um, you know, it wasn't just a space and a place to put my equipment, but there was definitely a community of people back there, back then. Um, they tight knit, and we all helped each other out, you know? Yeah, and it was affordable? It was, yeah, at the time. I think I was paying 1200 a month back okay. then which I thought that was reasonable for a space like that at the time.
0: Right, and it was, you could keep your equipment in there, your tools, your stuff, and, you know, start up your own brand.
3: Yeah, um, yeah I had a full, full my screen printing business out of there. It started just as an art studio. Um, Elise and I was sharing it as just, like, our art studio space, and then um, it evolved into um, the home of my screen printing business. Right, and where did you end up moving your stuff to after you left uh, Rug Road? After Rug Road, I went to Charlestown for three years, and that became prohibitively expensive. Um, I didn't re-sign the lease there. It was up to nineteen hundred over there. I just couldn't do it anymore. And now I'm working out of my house. Right. Yeah. I'm up in the boat now. I built a garage (laughs) in my backyard, so I got it. I got it. Which I'm very lucky that I was able to build in my backyard, because otherwise I was going to have to close my doors and shut down.
0: Right. And this is, you know,
3: nowhere else to put it. Right. Right.
0: And, you know, you've seen, this is a pattern, you're just kind of one example of uh, the artists and the creative people being, like, pushed out of Boston. Um,
3: oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you see it all over the place. I hear there's, a, like, a big community up in Lowell now, and Lynn, so I'm getting pushed out.
0: Yeah. And, you know, what do you think the future of the artists in Boston is going to be like for, you know, if this keeps continuing?
3: I mean, I see the trend. It's funny because I work in, you know, kind of developments a little tied to my job with the city of Revere and all the developments we see coming in now, are like micro units, very small condo housing units, they're um, aimed at commuters, they're aimed at people to just have a computer and a television in their space and so that's all they need to live and to interact with the world, um, you know, and that's the direction that's going and it's kind of sad. Um, you know, did you, just... did
0: you know they're building a um, automated parking garage on rug road?
3: No, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's like a robot parking garage. Yeah. It's just, know, that that just... human interaction is being taken out of everything in life. You know, yeah. like it, doesn't ex- it doesn't exist anymore. And that was one of the ways I built my brand and built my business. Um, and it's just that word we don't, you know, we're just losing that. It's It's really fucking sad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, everything's online and Instagram and talking. It's just there's no there's no hand to hand, face to face interactions anymore with people. Right. You know. And that's what's what great about it. that's what was great about Rug Road. I had a place to interact with my people as well as have my brand. You know, because we used to throw parties there and do events and stuff like that. Which I oh, mean, yeah. Which is something we really... I mean, you can talk about it now. It, I, that's I, its I own story. Like. Right, right. But that was part of it for me. It was all tied together.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we you covered know. that years ago, too. Um, right, right. But,
3: uh, you know, uh,
0: that was... Yeah, there's people who say, oh, Run Road, Road was, like, you know, this, like, dirty place and all kinds of bad stuff happened there. But at the end of the day, you know, don't you think that was part of, like, the soul of, like
3: the artist community in Austin? Absolutely. People were there for each other too at the same time and there to help each other and support and a place for us to get together. And, you know, just no judgment, no nothing. You know, it's, it's funny. A lot of people nowadays come up to Elise and I and like, Oh, like the time we spent on road, I changed my life. Like I had nowhere else to go back then. I was a mess and this and that. And you guys are a big part of like, you know, this important time in my life and all this shit. I hear it a lot. It's funny. Yeah, me too. I mean, we've, you know, I've felt that
0: way about other spaces. Um, you know, I, pre- I appreciate talking to you about this. Um, so are you still doing your Made in Boston business?
3: I am, yeah. I am.
0: And where can people find
3: you? Um, made in Boston dot com or, okay. or at Made in Boston Brand on Instagram. Okay. Yeah, so- that's it.
0: If you want to support local artists who have been pushed out of the city, check out Made in Boston. Um, this is my friend Mikey Maker, he's pretty much famous as a staple of Rug Road for many <laughs> years. Um, you know, now becoming a family man, which is very happy for him. And I Thank appreciate you. taking the time to talk to us. Um, you know, we're all mourning and we all have a lot of feelings about Rug Road being knocked down and what it meant to us as a community and hopefully um, you know, we can Get together and fight back this continuing to happen. But do you think there is a, a hope for artists in Boston to stay in Boston, or does it seem kind of?
3: I don't want to be uh, pessimistic, you know, but it's tough out there. If I was, yeah. if I turn back the clock ten years on my life and I was looking for a space, you know, today, um, but I, I was ten years younger. I don't know if I could handle it. I don't know if I could do it unless I had unlimited amount of money. Right support from family or you know so it's basically they're saying they're going to hang some
0: like you know paintings and galleries in the new building but it's probably going to be corporate yeah, that's bullshit.
3: <laughs> yeah right i call bullshit yes exactly
0: we'll see There's, but yeah
3: you can't tear down a building that had 15 studios in it and then give us a 400 square foot gallery and say that's okay right right
0: exactly not, and then not charge a fair,
3: not, not a fair trade off and charge $2,800 $3,500 for units and or do 30 micro units that are too tiny to, to do anything in right I don't know wants to live like that but, you know, I, I sure don't right
0: Exactly. Yeah. So that was uh, Mikey Maker. I really appreciate talking about this. I got to run to work now, but we'll play this okay. later on the show. Is that okay?
3: Yeah. Cool. Edit it a little bit if you can.
0: Yeah, I'll try. I'll try. Okay. Um, yes. But thank you so much, and you know, stay in touch, and um, I wish you the best, and I appreciate you know, this is good. So. Definitely. <laughs> Sorry, Mikey, we didn't get a chance to edit it, but you sounded amazing. Thank you for giving your, uh, your. Feelings on Rug Road and what it meant to the community. Um,
1: yeah, thanks for sharing and uh, good, uh, good first interview.
0: Right? Yeah, te- I figured out how to do that today yeah. on the phone. A so. man,
1: Herb, on the tech. It all yeah. went. That was awesome.
0: Yeah, and if anybody wants an amazing shirt like this one, made in Boston, go to madeinbostonbrand.com. dot He's got all kinds of stuff. I believe he even has onesies for babies now.
1: And now, did the audience get to see the snake picture?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, Can you
1: explain the snake picture real quick? Well, uh, that's one of my oldest pictures from Rug Road. And for the people who will be listening to this later on the podcast, during that interview, a man Herb dropped in a photo of Lauren, definitely with a bunch of weed smoke around. That was some cool (laughs) effects, with a, like, I don't know, 15-foot python around her neck. Yeah. Um,
0: One of the guys who lived there had a 15-foot python, and... You know, it's 5 a.m. at an amazing after party, and I decide it's a great idea to uh, hang out with the python. And uh, I don't know, all kinds of crazy stuff used to happen there. Actually, uh, another friend of mine was telling me about how they had their first smokable cake at Rug Road after the Freedom Rally, um, one of the parties there. Uh, tons of bands use that space for practicing that ended up getting pushed out to Studio 52, to um, the Sound Museum, to various spaces. There was actually a couple buildings. Some of them were more party. Some of them were more like creative, but it was uh, everybody worked together and looked out for each other. And we put on some pretty amazing stuff. So R.I.P. Rug Road.
1: Yeah, that sucks.
0: Yeah. And we didn't even go into the time that it got raided but that was because of some journalism students back in the day that decided to be narcs. Um,
1: but now they're offering in a 265 apartment, which will all be two to three grand each. Yeah, Eight of those can be for artists that meet the area medium income requirement.
0: Which nobody makes.
1: <laughs> which nobody makes. Um, actually, So he, he said three quick things I wanted to highlight. One, I really appreciated how he was talking about the lack of human connection and how when you break up those communities, And everyone just becomes kind of like slowly more alienated. Yes. Like he described his process and I'm going to get to this in a second, like going from Austin Brighton and then because of development, having to move, had to go to Charlestown and then the rent was too high and now working at home and that like outward migration shift.
0: Yes. And just like Dave, is is Dave Tree Studio now out of Norwood still? Where is it now? It was Watertown, then it was Norwood. It happened to a lot of friends of ours. um, And we can't even keep track. Just like you said, there's a big scene in Lowell. Um, We have a few friends that ended up moving their stuff up out to Lowell and doing stuff out of there because the rent's way cheaper than Boston. But it sure is hard to get to places. Jarva, Jarva, we miss you. Come back to Boston.
1: And uh, two fun things about the group that owns it. So it's called the Michael Organization the are based out of New Jersey. They are right. the largest owner of low-income properties. And what this whole like thrift is, is if you promise to build a certain amount of what's called low-income housing, you just get really just free money from the federal government. So it's really our own tax dollars, which then are given to these developers to then break up the community that doesn't want this development, which then ends up breaking everyone apart.
0: So, I mean, they're only building 17% affordable units.
1: Yes. So to qualify for this, and it it varies a little bit by state, it's anywhere from you need to provide 13% affordable to 15% affordable. But the word affordable doesn't mean what we think it means. No. It's based out of what's called – I didn't plan on going into this. um, I spoke about this before at some developer meetings. Um, It's called area median income, but it's not the actual median income of the area it's in. It's created by HUD at the federal level. They loop in over 100 cities, some of which aren't even in Massachusetts. They're in New Hampshire. They're in Rhode Island to jack up the median income. And they use over six figures as the average median income.
0: Which most artists in Boston totally don't make.
1: And so out of the, what, 265 housing, 34 of those will be labeled affordable. Half of those are going to be reserved for families that make 100 grand. And then another 20% will be 80 grand. And then by you actually get down to the amount of money, like fifty grand, which is still decent, about four of those units will be for people who make fifty grand. Right. It's all a hustle. It's all a hustle without tax dollars. Yeah. Um it was
0: it's then this is just kind of the same pattern that's been happening with it happened with EMF, it happened with Rug Road happened with uh, Studio Fifty Two happened to a bunch of different places that we've seen shuttered over the years due to gentrification and the lack of affordability in Boston. And it's really sad to see all like my friends who are doing really cool stuff get pushed out, and to not have these like meeting spaces, to not have these places to like enjoy each other's work, to party, to be connected to each other as humans, instead of just you know having to drive all the way out to Wilmington, wherever.
1: Um, and speaking of, speaking of driving, you like that good professional pivot? Now I'm going go to go to the tax thing.
0: Oh, yeah. Evan has to
1: talk about some <laughs> sexy taxes. I do. But before we go there, thinking of, uh, speaking of driving, did you see the Spotlight team from the Boston Globe, their big thing this week? No. So Spotlight, you know, the movie that everyone saw based on a real thing. It's like the intense research division of the Boston Globe, the ones who broke the... I'll call it the whole priest scandal, quote unquote. They spent this entire week talking about traffic in Boston. And every single issue for the last week was all about why is the traffic so high? Why is the traffic so high? And I'll be honest, I read, I read their first two deep dives. I didn't read the rest. They came out with a top 10. And I'm going to circle this back. This all goes about how people have to go from Austin Brighton to Charlestown to working at home. So what do you think the, one of the biggest reasons is for all the amount of traffic in Boston?
0: All the Ubers and Lyfts.
1: Ooh, that was good. So that made their list. So they created a top 10 list. Out of those top 10, the number one reason why traffic is so high is because no one can afford to live here. Right. Like just speaking to your friend. and the- wants to drive in?
0: Yeah, and the commuter rail is like pretty terrible and slow, and the trains don't run on time. and... And that's number two, Yeah,
1: is we don't have a good public transportation system. Right. For some reason, those two things didn't make Boston Globe's top 10 reasons.
0: What were their top 10 reasons?
1: So they just state the amount of vehicles have gone up in the last five years without really explaining, because the rent is too high, so people have to live further away and then commute. And then they spend sometimes being fun of lawmakers who drive. That's a waste of time. Five-car Flaherty. Yeah, five-car Flaherty. One thing they point out, which is, again, just meant as like catnip, but I, even I fall for it. What do you think is the most ticketed vehicle in Boston? You can't cheat and look on my computer screen.
0: Um, like the make and model?
1: No, no, no. But, Anne, if you're still watching... Taxis? Uh, I don't know. Shout out to my brother, Drew, because he might know the answer to this. It's a UPS. Oh. And there's one specific UPS um, truck. I'm not going to get the license plate, even though it's public, but it's on the Boston Globe. 1,500 parking tickets over the last four years. So,
0: wait. This one...
1: This one truck. Um, 1,550 over the last four years. But guess what? They actually have a deal with the city on it. And the deal is they will never put a boot on a UPS truck. So this is all... So they'll
0: just keep paying and paying and paying, but they still got to go deliver the next package.
1: Correct. But it's all the the price to do in business. But anyway, for the Boston Globe out there, the top two reasons is not because lawmakers drive their cars in or this one UPS guy just is going ham with the tickets. It's because people can't afford to live here and because we don't invest in public transportation, which is now my segue to the fun, sexy taxes. Sexy taxes. All right. If you've been reading for the last two months... It's the MBTA is broken. We need money to fix it. This has ranged from a $9 billion plan over the next 10 years to a $52 billion plan. And then that always segues to, well, how are we going to pay for it? And there's two ideas about how to pay for it. One of which is a gas tax. Oh. As, as Herb can probably tell you.
2: Is that what happened in France?
1: Oh, there you go, Herb, going international. So a gas tax is exactly what it sounds. It is an increase of the price of gas, which no politician wants to pass because all this does is put the burden on raising money for the MBTA on the actual working class. About 40% of American families can't afford an extra $500 expense if that's like a broken vehicle or medical payment. So every time you increase the price of gas, that actually hits working class people. That's idea number one. Idea number two, and that was, as Herb just said, coming out of France. That's why the whole yellow vest movement blew up, because they were sick of them putting the burden on the working class. The second idea is called congestion pricing. Now, uh, Mr. International, do you know what caused riots, what country, over congestion pricing? Egypt. Not Egypt. (laughs) Chile. Chile. Uh, If you're still reading the news, Chile has been in protest over the last two months, and that's because of congestion pricing. And that is when you jack up the fares, the tolls, during the morning and the the evening commute. So the entire idea is basically to make working-class people who have to live further away because they can't afford to live here to pay more for the MBTA. The Boston Globe, they want congestion pricing. No politicians want to pass this. But there's another whole other idea that no one's bringing up. We talked about taxing the working class. But who else could we tax, Lauren? The rich. We could very easily (laughs) tax the rich. And for whatever reason, I have read every Boston Globe article about this. I have read every Herald article about this. I have read everything from Commonwealth Magazine. I have not heard a single publication or politician When talking about raising money for the MBTA, talk about increasing taxes on the wealthiest people in Massachusetts.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Mostly because they're the ones who actually (laughs) have that money. But there is an organization, Boston DSA, um, we have some loose collaboration called Raise Up Massachusetts, and they have two ideas. One of which, oh my God, I'm just blanking on the uh, amendment name. Someone's going to kill me because you just gave me a 10-hour lecture on this. It's not a number, is it? No, no, no. I'm going to look it up. I'll, I'll get the actual proposal in a second.
0: Happens to me every every but show. The don't worry.
1: is raising stuff on corporations. Ah, the fair share amendment. Boom. Fair share. Look, Lauren, prove it. Did my laptop load?
0: No, oh, it did not. She's
1: being nice and loaded. I did cheat. But okay, it's called the fair share amendment. Now, this was supposed to be a ballot initiative two years ago, but then a Supreme Court uh, justice that uh Charlie Baker appointed struck it down on a technicality and it takes years to put something to come up for a ballot vote.
0: But then Charlie Baker can go and ban vapes with like a... Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's, funny it's funny how that works. It's funny yeah. how it works. Sometimes. Yeah.
1: And all this does is it slightly, slightly adds progressive taxation in Massachusetts. So right now, like how our state income taxes work, everyone has to pay the same percentage. It doesn't matter if you're Worth six billion dollars, or you don't have anything. Um, your state tax is, as mandated by the Constitution, it has to be one flat rate. Most states, and what we do at the national level, is called progressive taxation, and that means if once you've passed a certain threshold, a couple million dollars, you pay a few pennies more on the dollar. Now, when Charlie Baker's person banned this bill, and then they had to start up again, I wanted us to double it. It's kind of like an fu to them of saying like, okay, you didn't let us pass this like modest little thing, we'll just double it.
0: They can afford it.
1: I got, well, A, I'm not allowed in those rooms when they make these decisions because (laughs) those are the type of stuff I was going to say. But in 2021, because these things take years to do, we have to push the lawmakers to get that on the ballot. So, 2020, fair share amendment. It adds over a billion dollars per year. That would all go directly into the MBTA. Working classes well have to pay a thing.
0: So, would that also go towards lowering the cost of the MBTA for like your everyday low income writer? Because that's another concern too.
1: It is. And um, shout out to DSA member and Cambridge elect councilman Jeevan Sabona Weaver. He made Ooh. national press. I think a week ago, because while in New York, they're paying $250 million to add more police to make sure that no one jumps the turnstiles. (laughs) How's this for math? They're going to spend $250 million on adding more security for a problem that costs $200 million.
0: It's a jobs program.
1: It is a jobs program. We could just teach people to build solar panels so we don't die in the coming apocalypse. If we really wanted to make a jobs pro- – I didn't plan on getting this here. If we really <laughs> wanted to do a jobs program rather than making sure some 14-year-old high school student who's lost his past can make it uh, to school and rather than tackling him and having six people for $250 million to solve a $200 million problem. Right. Again, you can all do the math on your own time. We could just teach the police to build solar panels. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. I mean we could do the same thing for ICE. And I should have been using that time to uh, look up the second thing. But the second thing we can do, which doesn't have to wait until 2021, last thing that I want to talk about for the sexy tax segment, is to change our corporate tax laws. So we have a nickname as Taxachusetts. I really want to trace, like, because I'm pretty sure it's just a good propaganda thing. But we have one of the lowest co- uh, corporate tax rates in the country. We're like the sixth lowest.
0: Aren't there like major companies that, ha- that operate out of here that just don't pay taxes?
1: Yeah. So so once you get high enough, you can just play with the rules so you don't have to. And that is a second thing. And I'll make sure to bring the name so that uh, Beth doesn't yell at me l- later. But very simply, there is a couple of um, house bills that we can add to stop what is really just when a mega corporation transfers money from Massachusetts to another country so they don't have to pay taxes. So this is like a crazy thing companies do. If I these mega corporations that we've allowed that own. 200 different companies from around the world, they'll take whatever company has the lowest uh, country tax rate, and then right before taxes are due, they'll have all their other minor companies just dump all their money in this one corporation. And so let's say this one corporation sells paper towels, they'll be like, all right, everyone, go buy paper towels for uh, $10,000 a roll. And then they'll just have all their companies just... What makes no sense on paper, spending ten thousand dollars and I'm giving you what is almost a real life example. Yeah. To just dump money in then when tax time comes, like, oh no, none of those companies have any money.
0: Business yeah, they're they're like breaking even or operating at a loss because they just spent ten thousand dollars on paper towels.
1: Yes. So so there are plenty of things that we can do to raise money for the MBTA, which is not a gas tax or congestion pricing, which is gonna make it so the working classes to spend more or to avoid congestion pricing, Do you know what people do? They just have to wake up two hours earlier and drive earlier, or they have to stay two hours later at their job to go past the uh, rush hour. So, when we were talking about that breaking of human connection, you've already had to live further away. You already spent two hours of your day, 10 hours a week commuting. Okay, we'll just leave earlier, sleep less, see your kids less, spend less time with your family, less time on recreation. All it does is add that. That's why in Chile, they started the uprising. That's why in France, they did.
0: But if you are you know, lucky enough to have like a cushy job with flexible hours and work from home ability, um, you don't have to deal with that. But then you also probably make enough money to live in Boston.
1: That's true. Oh, and I brought the name up. Thank you for that. It is called the Global Intangible Low Taxed Income, which again, they make it so these things sound boring. That's why we're trying to sex it up for you. The global, intangible, low-taxed income. It Should is, we it, do it in ASMR? Oh, we could. It's
0: the global, intangible. Low-taxed. Low-taxed income.
1: There we go. Mm-hmm. Whisper those words. Call all of your house reps. It's actually really fun to call a house rep. Because people answer. Like You, you can call your... Um, you can call Ayanna Presley's office.
0: They actually hang up on me every time. Do
1: they really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have nothing but pleasant <laughs> conversations. But
0: I mean, usually I've she already agrees with a lot of the things that I'm calling about. But I've had some... I I feel like I haven't been able to get a connection with them.
1: I like it. Ayanna oh, yeah. Presley, hit
0: me up. I want to talk.
1: Yeah, we'll have you on the show. That'd yeah, awesome. come on the show. I don't know. I, I might end up asking her some, some kind of harder questions. But... Uh, Global, intangible, low tax income, and then also having more corporate disclosure so that we can see internally when you're buying paper towels for $10,000 a roll in Bangladesh.
0: Yeah. Oh, transparency. Yes. Wouldn't that be nice?
1: So those are the two things we're going to try to get done in 2020. 2021, fair share amendment, get ready.
0: What else you guys got?
1: Oh, we have some crazy plans for taxing the rich. The hard part is... So the House just... Basically decided nobody wanted to touch this issue, so they punted it until next year, Okay, which I'm going to get the math really wrong. But your city budget, especially Massachusetts, once those things are passed, I'm not sure what we actually use in terms of like the actual cash on hand that goes into bank accounts. But what so many cities do is they just kind of milk off that interest. Just like, you know how, do you have a savings account?
0: Let's not talk about my let's not <laughs> talk right, about all my right. bank accounts.
1: Alright. I mean they've kind of gutted how much like you and me can actually make. I remember when I was a kid it was like six to eight percent for Really? Yeah. Like I remember having a little banking notebook when I was in middle school. And then all of a sudden they decided oh, actually let's just gut all that so people now have to go uh play with their money at the
0: That's what stock markets are for. That's what the stock markets are for.
1: <laughs> But uh, Robert DeLeo ended up punting this. So what I just oh to- DeLeo. So what I just told you is going to be the big thing, really in January. But I guess because they didn't pass it in time, Charlie Baker is going to be able to almost have line item vetoes of the entire budget. So if you don't get this passed at a certain threshold, and if Matt Miller is watching, feel free to uh, message in the chat to uh, correct anything I'm saying uh dsa buddy of mine who like uh he started a um a non-profit that really just monitors the statehouse it's called act on mass so everyone out there uh check them off follow them on twitter because we have the least democratic statehouse in the entire country how so so let's say there's a vote do you imagine that they write down who voted yes or no i would assume so yeah would it shock anyone listening to learn that we don't do that That there is no record of how people vote unless you do a very archaic method where you have to get 15 house reps to simultaneously stand up, demand a roll count within a five-second time window. Otherwise, it is not recorded.
0: They have to do like 10 jumping jacks. It's it's literally
1: from like the 18th century, our rules. And we do not know how house representatives vote. I mean, I feel like the good ones actually tell us how they vote, but that's optional. So that is more or less optional. There may be, I could be wrong, and there could be a couple types of bills that it has to be recorded. But the vast majority, 99% of all legislation that passes through the House, it is there is no record of how your representative voted.
0: So there's no, there really should just be like a one website you can go and look up bills and see. You can see co-sponsors of bills. You can see so, who co-sponsored a bill. So you
1: can see if somebody sponsors a bill, you can see if they co-sponsored it but you cannot tell if they even voted for it. Sometimes they abstain from voting at all. But there's no record of it. I can't tell you how my house rep votes, and this is all I do is obsess about this stuff, and I talk to you about it on Monday nights, and I can't tell you how people vote. It's literally not recorded. It is not mandated.
2: But don't you usually put somebody in
1: that position because you trust them to vote in the way that you would like?
0: You have to hold them accountable.
1: (laughs) I mean, how elections work is, especially at the local, I mean, not even just at the local level, but saying that um, you're going to have an interpersonal relationship with somebody who is a representative of 40,000 people. That is the average of how many people. Uh, I've never met my house rep. And again, I show up to all the different stuff.
0: Wait, who is your house rep?
1: I always want to call him uh, Dan Koch, but that is the name of Marty Walsh's former assistant who ran for the Massachusetts 3rd District and lost by like 100 seats, and he's very sour about it, Uh, 100 votes, (laughs) and he's very sour about it. Um, Dan Hunt. Oh, oh, he was, ah, yes, that's right. He was the guy that tried to ban the B word. Yes.
0: Uh. But that was only because somebody like asked him to, I guess, and nobody should have taken it
1: that seriously. Yes, I'm not going to bash him. Um, apparently, he was just. He will, there is, again, another arcane thing where any random citizen can be like, I want my house rep to put this bill on the floor. And he was saying he just wanted to honor that process. I think more than likely he got a little embarrassed because of how much attention it got. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of my close friends who does not follow politics, his top choice is Bernie Sanders. His te- second choice is Tom Steyer. Just to give you an idea of. Again, the not fall the politics. He found out about that, right? And oh, he, yeah. He had some choice words for uh for Danny.
0: Were they the b word?
1: I'm not gonna comment. <laughs> but um, hey Dan, if you're listening, um, come I, on the show. I don't believe we've met. I don't think I've ever seen you in person. I know you look like, and we look very similar, both a fellow uh, bald white guy. But yeah, come on the show. Come to a Dorchester not for sale meeting. Swing by a right to the city vote. Uh coalition there's gonna be a party tomorrow night little charity fundraiser there'll be a lot of house reps there because right to the city vote is money and they all want their approval so swing on by that'd be cool maybe he will maybe i gotta i gotta slip this in
0: yeah all
1: right how you feeling we said 9:40 940 to 9 45
0: all right want to take a break
1: all right let's take a quick break okay oh so we have to get good at uh plugging before the break are we still on
0: We're still on. What are we plugging? I know that I'm plugging... Well... Are
3: they just doing the same...
0: We're back here with part two of renters radio coming to you live. I'm Lauren Pespiza and we're sitting here with Evan George and we have some more stuff to talk about affecting renters in Boston, activists in Boston and the people of Boston. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, we just did a a couple segments on um, Rug Road taxes.
1: Sexy taxes, Sexy
0: taxes. Among other things, we're going to talk about a few more things now, uh, a few more local stories going on. Um, what else we got on the plate?
1: We have the pro-ice protest that happened this weekend. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I just heard about it. So I looked into this. Like um, You and I both knew this was coming up. It was on this past Saturday in Burlington, Mass. Have you ever been to Burlington, Mass?
0: I've been to Burlington, Mass. There's a mall there.
1: There is a mall there. And there's also, like, past the TGI Fridays is is one of the ICE detention facilities, like ICE's headquarters in Massachusetts. Really? And it's the same people that did the Straight Pride Parade, and then along with this woman who she wasn't allowed to speak at, like, Bentley, because clearly if she's going to go speak at a pro-ICE rally, she... Probably says some things or maybe promotes a little bit too much white nationalism. I'm sure she has some comments after whatever recent shooting there was. Uh, Michelle Malkin, have you ever heard of her?
0: I hadn't heard of her until I was uh, tipped off that she was doing this. And uh, sounds like an asshole.
1: I mean, right wing
0: I... journalist person I've never heard of.
1: Someone I've never heard of. Who tried to speak at a college campus just so they would say no, so that then she could highlight that her views are being censored.
0: Oh, free speech, free speech. No, what do we do? Not free speech. But she found
1: an audience at the pro-ice rally. And now the most disheartening thing of me looking into this was that, according to the Boston Herald, which is right-leaning, yes, put, put, puts the crowd at about 100 people. Which, to me, is actually pretty scary there. That's a lot of
0: people for a pro-ice protest in Burlington. Burlington. Yeah. We actually, I wanted to go, but we were busy doing productive things, like having breakfast with our new city councilor.
1: Yes. Shout shout out uh, to to, Congresswoman-elect Liz Breeden.
0: Yes. That was far more enjoyable than hanging out with a bunch of pro-ice assholes but um we may have so if anybody that we know went to this uh we would love to hear from you we're opening up the phone lines today um 872-810-2125 it's a chicago number it doesn't make sense don't worry about it
1: oh shout out chicago i love chicago yeah
0: 872-810-2125 um you know you looked into this after and so was there any arrest, any violence what actually was it who was there
1: so this was actually so hard for me to look into. There was maybe actually, unfortunately, a few of these across the country. So I would start reading about something and end up being, I think there was one in Texas. There was one in a different location. All it, on the same day? It seems like, actually, no, they've all been just spread across the last few weeks. But the fact that the Globe didn't run a story about this or this didn't get more attention to me, I, I don't know. I it, it, That hit a little bit of a red flag. But I'm going to read you some of the, the highlights courtesy of the Herald. Which now puts up a paywall if you use your laptop.
0: Yeah, there is a paywall for the Herald,
1: but. But not if you use your phone. Really? Yeah, if you just. So so everyone knows this little hack, just go through your phone, the Boston Herald app, and I can bring up all the articles. Oh, okay. All right, well, shout out Herald.
0: Yeah, don't give them money.
1: No. Oh, uh, yeah, we should do a deep dive into what happened to the Herald. Because um, when they declared. I think they declared bankruptcy, and then they got bought out by a Sinclair type. But right. there's a reason their coverage look the, looks the way that it does. We'll, we'll go into that in a different episode. So let's see. Conservative columnist Michelle Malkin stood before a raucous crowd of pro-ice protesters in Burlington Saturday to call out state and federal officials. She says push anti-American immigration policies. Less than a week after, Bentley University abruptly canceled an event for her to discuss her new book on the nation's border crisis. Now I wish I looked up what her book was. Oh, what is her book? Has anybody read Michelle Malkin's book? See, if you can bring that up. I just want to know the title. um, (laughs) Yeah, Michelle Malkin. Ew. So, and this is coming from her uh, speaking at the event, which, again, unfortunately brought up over 100 people, which is a lot. As now the Herald, I think, was listening and then quickly kicked me out. We have a president who (laughs) understands this crisis and is now facing the slings and arrows for reducing the unprecedented number of refugees. One, shout out to her for, address, for calling them refugees. That was a slip by her. Yeah. They never used the term refugees. They used the term illegal aliens.
0: Yes, which is a pretty offensive term.
1: And I mean, it's not even... Um, well, I mean, A, is obviously very offensive, but the entire trick is to dehumanize. Right. Because if you hear... Um, mothers and children escaping climate change and economic and a political environment that we created through our foreign policy, you get a little bit more sympath- sympathetic. When you hear illegal aliens are invading, <laughs> that kind of gets the blood pumping. So Man, the cannons, yeah, illegal she, aliens. She slipped there. But also yeah. unprecedented numbers, eh, wrong, numbers are down. Come on, don't play. But thank you for saying refugees. I appreciate that, Michelle. Right. That was nice of you. And then- you think of refugees, you think of
0: huddled masses yearning to be free. There you go. And people I mean, that you want to help. So. Yeah.
1: Um, now, does that make me a racist or an Islamophobe? Look, I don't want a million Greta Thunbergs coming here.
0: Oh, no, not Greta Thunberg. Somebody who cares about the future of our planet. God <laughs> and, forbid they come to our country.
1: And uh, that was pro- probably also a mess. I doubt out of the 100 people that would show up on a Saturday because they have nothing better to do. Actually knows who that is. Maybe. The right wing does pump her up a little bit.
0: Yeah, it, they have. like They actually get triggered by her.
1: Yeah, and then that and any time they... Oh, do you know what? Never mind. I'm not going to swing at that pitch. I had something. I, I'm going to wait for that for a little bit later. <laughs> but uh, th- there's a reason they uh, th- they use her uh, photo a lot. But uh, that's a little bit more subliminal mindset. <laughs> <Okay>. Around 100 <laughs> pro ice. Oh, come on, Boston Harold. Let me just read your article while I make fun of you. bum ba da ba Over 100 pro-ice activists showed up to the rally in the chilling temperatures, waving American flags and pro-Trump banners, while singing patriotic songs and chanting, thank you, ice, thank you, ice. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, man. Um, It's time to get mad, people. This crisis is killing our... See, here we go. Here's the blood and thunder. This crisis is killing our sons and daughters and our cousins and neighbors. Wake up, sheeple. And again, all of this is to create this thumb beat of, no, no, it's okay. If you're going to stand on the border and just start firing rounds because people are coming. I mean, it's an invading mass of aliens. Right, right. So that's what you do. This crisis is killing our sons and daughters. And then when there is a shooting, when there are people that walk into a Walmart because they're actually in their manifestos recognizing this tide of illegal uh, immigrants, and then just go ham to shoot down a bunch of people who looked different than themselves. Then they all shy away, and they say, we had nothing to do with that. We're, we're not causing that. Just because I speak uh, my truth doesn't mean I'm the result of that. But this is the language. This is the point of it. She does have a funny line here, though. Alexandria Openbordez, Oh, <laughs> which I, I thought that was good, um, is demonizing ICE and likening them to concentration camp guards, which... That is what they are. Yeah, it, it, that it, is what they are. It's a concentration camp. It, 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 it is to literally concentrate. They have, and-
0: uh, like, n- there was recently a facility in Texas that, you know, was found to be able to supposedly hold, like, 125 people, and it was holding 900 people um, in ridiculous conditions, uh, basically inhuman human conditions. Um, I don't know what else you would call that but a concentration camp. I think our audience pretty much agrees with us on that. But yeah, it- I am surprised there were 100 people there.
1: That's alarming. That's from the Herald. That's from the Herald. Were they
0: blowing up those numbers, I wonder?
1: I don't know. And um, honestly, it, it was a little weird for me in lefty land that uh, that event didn't get more attention, probably because Burlington Mass is very far out. And it was a
0: very cold day.
1: Oh, I mean, let me say this about Antifa. It doesn't matter the temperature; Those people yeah. show up. Yeah. So I'm not sure if they just uh, didn't report on if there were any counter-protesters there. But it's hard for me to imagine there weren't, but according to the photos, there was just a lot of angry white people in Central Mass who, and and this is another, like, we're not going to do a whole thing on immigration. I could probably talk about this for two hours. I don't want to go into every little thing. The only thing I want to highlight is two different things, just to bring it back to local. One, for the people out there that say, well, why don't they just... Um, do it the right way. Just stand in line and get it. <laughs> do you know how long the process is? If you were in Massachusetts trying to get your citizenship, how long they want you to wait in line? What the average wait time is right now?
0: Uh, it's years and years, right?
1: It's about four years, if
0: you can, if you qualify at all. And so, doesn't it take a bunch of money too to get an immigration lawyer? So, and
1: um, it takes an incredible amount of money. But right now there are thirty three thousand right uh, immigrants trying to get a. The proper uh, documentation so they can just live their lives in this community. So for the people that say wait in line, they are waiting in line. And something that you also come up a lot in Massachusetts is judges that are getting pissed off with ICE because ICE knows that people are trying to get citizenship. They're trying to do it the right way. So they just wait in the courthouse and then they get people who are, again, trying to go through the process. Grab them to deport them.
0: Right. And because, a lot a lot of times it's for things like driving without a license or something really minor because they weren't able to get a license.
1: Yes, correct. Because they also have to commute long distances because they can't afford – I mean, like just go into most Boston restaurants or bars late at night, uh, work in the kitchens. And if you're just really honest with yourself, you have to imagine most of the establishment you frequent. I don't care how much money you make. There are people there who are undocumented. It just is, period. Right, And they also have to travel. They also have to commute. And because ICE is ICE is like the lowest barrel, we might talk about my history maybe a little bit later. I have friends who are police officers. I have friends who are in the military. If you were working for ICE, that means that basically the local mall said that you did not meet their fitness requirement to be a mall cop. So these are the people who then think, oh, God, we got to go catch some aliens. All right, why don't we just wait by the courthouse? because And we'll just grab some grandmother who's trying to get um, a re-up on a censorship. Hopefully she'll have a gap. And then, bam, now I don't have to actually go out there.
0: Right. And they can meet their quotas and consider their job done. Um, Though a lot of judges have been standing up to that. And some have even gotten in trouble for that in Massachusetts recently. um, There was that judge in Newton. Yeah. um, Who stood up for immigrants. And people got really upset about that. um, But... You know, as somebody who isn't really a big fan of the criminal justice system, anyway, I think right on. Use your power for good to protect people.
1: Yeah, it feels weird championing a judge, but if you uh, if you're gonna have judges, that's a that's a good way of doing it. Yeah. The um the last thing I want to say in this because we're not gonna do a whole immigration thing. Oh, actually, do you want? Know no, I'm gonna I'm gonna save the the technocratic uh, weird Evan stuff. And there's actually one more funny thing that she brings up in this article if I can quickly find it. And that's that she... Actually, I want to get the exact quote, so everyone's going to bear with me for half a second. But she links this back to the Founding Fathers, which is the conservative's <laughs> funnest thing to do. For whatever reason, they only remember like the fourth grade class they took where they can they can name Benjamin Franklin, they can name Thomas Jefferson, and then maybe that's it. So she gives a shout-out to the Founding Fathers, which the liberal part of me that I haven't killed yet wants to instantly challenge because there's nothing in the constitution about immigration no the founding fathers did not write anything in the constitution about immigration all of that came later in the mid to late 19th century to try to kick out and restrict the amount of asian people coming here that was really the first time we took a crack at this that in the 14th amendment yeah, people doesn't really
0: actually it. encouraged immigration in america because it would help populate the land
1: right well this is where it gets funny so again that's a liberal part of me is to point out well actually in the constitution it doesn't say but that but the founding fathers were insanely racist and hated immigrants right well (laughs) even
0: though they were immigrants
1: well yeah they were the but but they were the good white kind right um or first
0: generation americans even though there'd been people living here for
1: and thousands of years you know what because as i was driving here it struck me that we don't have a thanksgiving theme I don't care. No, I know, but I, me bashing the Founding Fathers, even though I know doesn't actually have to do with our historical record of Thanksgiving, it now feels appropriate. Can I read you uh, some of Benjamin Franklin's views on immigrants?
0: Sure, let's go. What's Benji got to say?
1: Um, Those who come hither are generally of the most ignorant, stupid sort of their own nation, and as few of the English understand the blank language. What people do you think he's talking about? Blocking my laptop screen. Is he talking about Native Americans? Nope. Oh, no. You're giving him way too much credit. Okay. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Germans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no. Those non white Germans, so different from yeah. the
1: English. Why should Pennsylvania, founded by the English, become a colony of aliens who will shortly be so numerous as to Germanize us instead of our anglifying them? And so, they And it's
0: basically the same thing.
1: Oh, it's all the same thing. Um, Conservatives haven't changed their language. They're not clever. Um, Which leads me to one remark that the number of purely white people in the world is proportionally very small. All Africa is is black or tawny. Asia chiefly tawny. (laughs) Um, The Spaniards, Italians, French, Russians, and Swedes are generally of what we call a swarthy complexion. Wow. Swedes are swarthy. And um, I want to look up his name because he passed recently. But uh, if I had to create a reading list for people. One of the books is called How the Irish Became White. Because as you can see, it doesn't make sense in our current context. Why is Benjamin Franklin bashing on Germans and French and Italians and Swedes? Aren't they white? Well, in the 18th century... Because whiteness is not a defined term, it's not biology for the bench of hero people out there. It is a social construct, and back then, people like me, the Irish and the Italians, we weren't white. We didn't become white until after the Civil War, when we they needed to boost their numbers because of the amount of now new citizens, quote unquote, of the black population. Then my people, the Irish, were just like, oh, like we live in a racial hierarchy? Yeah, can we please be white? And they're just like, yeah, we need the numbers, let's go.
0: Okay, yes, but also I cannot stand Irish people that act like they were oppressed because they weren't considered white like 120 years ago or something. No, no, just like, I'm an Italian, and I'm pretty sure I'm white. Pretty li- sure. Even though I'm Sicilian, I'm still pretty sure I'm white. I've got all the privileges of your average white chick, and you've got all the privileges of your average white dude. And whether or not 120 years ago, some guy that was, you know, Anglo-Saxon uh, decided that, you know, Irish and Italians weren't white. That's not really racism. That's xenophobia at the end of the day. So
1: you don't like it when uh, Marty Walsh uh, goes into communities of color and talks about what it's like to be an Irish immigrant?
0: Oh, yeah, because he knows.
1: You think in 2019 that might be inappropriate? But, hey, <laughs> I mean, but back then, 18th century... Uh, Marty does have a point, so we were going to spend this Thanksgiving bashing off founding fathers and also do you see have you seen the play hamilton i
0: do I look like I have <laughs> that kind of money with well, somebody if anybody wants to take me to see Hamilton, I will totally go with you I, by the way actually, the audience
1: I love musicals I, I listen to like the soundtrack you would i know um you, you know the whole like immigrants we get the job done it 's one of the songs, a- Alexander Hamilton hated immigrants even though he um he was what some people would call "quote unquote" mixed, meaning his. I,
0: I he was German and English, mixed race. <laughs> oh, but I'm from
1: Lauren with the jokes. um I forget where his father came from. He was some sailor, and I forget what island he was born in. But and then generally, especially back then, if you live in a racial hierarchy, if you are even a little bit associated with a person of color, you still see this today. Those are some of the loudest people to bash because if you live on a ladder. The person that is the second rung up the chain is very, very aggressive against the person that's right beneath them. Because they really want to create that divide. Uh, Google Alexander Hamilton's real views on immigration. It wasn't as uh, songy and dancy as it is in the Broadway play.
0: Is the Broadway play songy and dancy? by the way? I don't
1: make that kind of money either. Okay.
0: So we'll never see Hamilton.
1: But uh, maybe... Let's three seconds. Oh, and actually, I guess the creator of that is crazy bad. I guess he has some... Actually, I think he's from Puerto Rico, but I think he has some very, very bad views on that issue, especially where it comes to Puerto Rican debt. Everyone, uh, go play around. Go, go look him up. From my, my lefty sources, he is not a good person in and the slightest.
0: Donate to our Patreon so we can go see Hamilton.
1: Oh, I'll do a two-hour review, and I will do a deep, 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 deep dive. We'll
0: live stream it for you, too.
1: Until we get kicked out for, <laughs> uh listening on our cameras. <laughs> But that is the Pro Ice Rally.
0: Um, we have a bunch of comments from a friend of the show, Rod Weber. Oh, God. Um,
1: Rod's back.
0: Rod, Rod, call in. 872-810-2125. Let's see if the phones work this time. Yeah, we
1: do want to test out. Yeah, we really do need to again. test
0: this phone system. But um, first thing he said was the Herald is like the Boston version of Infowars. Um, yeah, it's not just That's slightly right-leaning. It's uh, it's pretty hardcore. If the Herald was a book, it would be Mein Kampf.
1: Um. Uh, have you ever read Howie Carr?
0: Oh man, we used to go on Howie, go off on Howie Carr and the Young Jerks all the time. Can't stand that guy.
1: Um, he also had a an op ed about, I mean, just like kind of syncing up to the pro ice thing. Yeah. So I listen to his radio show regularly. I would say regularly if, um, like, I think he talks like three or four hours, and then when they release it as what, like what we do podcast form yeah they like cut it into like 20 30 minute chunks because it's mostly commercials yeah like most con- conservative media rush limbaugh has you listen to if it.
0: anyone wants to sponsor our show reach out to us yeah. at rentersradio at gmail.com and we'll be happy to break this show into 20 minute 20 minute segments of commercials
1: <laughs> or if you don't start paying us i will start doing ads for amazon i will switch sides instantly because i can make a lot of money like for the other people so we're gonna check that patreon page in two weeks, and let's see what it looks like, yeah. And uh, even though no, 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 like and subscribe is first, we yes, gotta, like and subscribe, follow
0: us that. on Facebook, all of that. Um, but yeah, we do have to find out how to get some money for this show. Maybe I'll threaten to sing if they don't donate. I feel like that's a pretty solid threat.
1: We can figure that part
0: out. Um, but anyway, uh, he also said um, that actually. Uh, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution is about immigration Uh, to establish a uniform rule of naturalization and uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States. Why are those two things connected in one article? No, you don't get points for
1: that. I'm still right.
0: But no, but then can you tell me why bankruptcy and immigration are in the same? Oh, here we go. Hello? Hello? Who's this?
1: Um, yeah, I can hear the show in the background, which generally means. You there?
0: Oh, is this our constitutional scholar, Rod Weber?
1: Yeah. Rod, what's up, bud? How's it going?
2: All right, you, you guys sound like uh, you're. It's not a direct line, it sounds like you're in an echo chamber.
1: That might be because our voices would carry to all the different mics. I'm guessing, looking at my tech person, yep. I don't know. I pay other people to deal with this. I don't know.
0: We should figure this
1: out at <laughs> some no, point. No. Tell Herb it sounds like someone put the cell phone 10 feet
2: away from you. <laughs> but all right, um, He's
1: nodding. But uh, how's it going? Uh, why are you calling in today? Thank you for being well, our most cause... biggest fan.
2: Uh, well, because Lauren just said, call in. So I I do everything she tells me to do. That's good. Uh, she, g- she gave me the wave. She said, come call in. Uh, then you started talking about the Constitution. But really, the main thing is that you were uh, uh, dropping some uh, knowledge there about the, uh, the rally out in Burlington, which I had to skip because, let's face it, that's just a bunch of bullshit. It was going to be more of the same. There was just nothing that was going to go on there. Uh, but I can tell you that I've been on on the Twitter having a tweet storm uh, with Samson and Mark Sahadi um, for the better part of the afternoon. Were they there? Uh, with, huh?
0: They were there, right?
2: The, the, no, I, I I skipped the rally. But but they,
0: Mark's they and Samson like... were there.
2: I I can barely hear you. What?
0: Were Mark and Samson at the rally?
2: Um I I do not know. I assume so they had posted on on Twitter that uh they would be representative, but they haven't posted anything uh, uh you know any any video of the actual rally.
0: Huh, interesting.
1: So uh Rod, Rod why do you think um the left didn't kind of like mobilize around this as we have other issues? Was it because it was in Burlington or what do you think?
2: Because uh, it was just, it was, it was going to be nothing.
1: Uh, it, it, it part,
2: this is the, the, the ongoing struggle, really, is that they, they want Antifa to come out and protest. It's, they say over and over again, this is you know, kind of what they live for uh, in order to create the big media spectacle. Um, That's why they do the quote unquote triggering, triggering things like having a straight pride parade Uh, with something like this, especially after what happened in Dallas. I think people just got the feeling that um, it was going to be a bunch of nothing. No one was going to be there. And so why give them the attention?
1: And uh, Uh, Rod, for for the people that are going to be listening to this later, would you mind explaining what happened in Dallas? Because I definitely want to highlight that as well.
2: Um, so, well, the, the quick roundabout is uh, Super Happy Fun America is previously Resist Marxism was previous previously Boston Free Speech. Uh, the core group is Samson Rachabi, Mark Zahadi, Brandon Avon, and John Medlar, uh, who kind of uh, jumped between the different groups. Um, they uh, were very excited about uh, doing this rally in Dallas, Texas, um, which was called Pong, of uh, something on the next generation people on the next generation or power on the next generation, uh, something nonsensical like that. And, uh, basically it was just Mark Sahady and Brandon Naveholm that showed up for it. And, uh, that was it literally the, the Texas organizers bailed on the rally and, uh, So they they spent probably eight hundred dollars on plane tickets to go there and back to be ridiculed by, you know, 10 people in Dallas, 10 Antifa folks, I guess, or or anti straight pride folks. Um, But so, you know, after that, uh, just kind of expected Burlington Burlington to be nothing. And then today, Samson spent uh, all day uh, bitching me out about my documentary, The Oppressed Majority, which is about their core group. And um, just, kind of, well, you know, you know, it's a hit piece, et cetera. And so I said, well, I'm glad you chimed in. Uh, can you explain to me why you feel it's a hit piece? And they just keep going through all this circular logic that, well, you know, if, if words are violence, then by that logic, you're violent, too, and you're a bigot. And honestly, it's, it's disintegrating into more and more stupid. There's, there's, there's just no other way to put it. It's just getting more and more stupid. Uh, So without the media behind them to bolster all this nonsense, they really got nothing. So why go to Burlington?
0: Right. And it seems like the only people who covered it were the
2: Herald. Yeah. Uh, Who, by the way, lied through their teeth about everyone involved in uh, straight pride for, uh, you know, for the entire month that it was in the news.
0: The Herald yeah. also lied about many other protests throughout the years.
1: Yeah, as I was talking about before, <laughs> I definitely want to um, do a deeper dive into what happened to them financially the last two to three years because they got bought out by some very Sinclairish type people. Indeed.
0: I'm not sure they were ever good.
1: No, no. Uh, so they were always to the right of uh, the globe, but. I mean, at a certain point, if you're gonna buy it as an investment, you just you cut your staff, you cut the reporting. They still, I think, do some decent sports stuff, and then it's just like, just write crazy right wing stuff. Like again, like if you just read Howie Carr's articles, it's...
2: I, I mean, but but to to, to be fair, the, the Boston Globe is pretty conservative in my opinion right as well. it's They're not public... like the boston
1: globe is a... absolutely <laughs> yeah. i mean th- that's what hey we talked about in the first segment i don't know what you was, uh if you were listening or not but the boston globes uh the big debate over taxing to get money for the mbta is congestion pricing or a gas tax so it's what a uh, working class tax is gonna be the best never mentions one thing about raising taxes on corporations or uh i think we had a 16 percent boost in millionaires who now live in massachusetts over the last three years
2: Never brought up. So, in in case you weren't aware of the Boston Globe and my history in conjunction uh, with this particular group of people, and the uh, in the lead up to the Boston Free Speech Rally, the big one in August of 2017, they published uh, my name as one of the speakers at the rally. It basically, in order to troll me, um, it 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 started from Boston Free Speech saying that I was going to be a speaker. Uh, Then the Boston Globe (laughs) set out, and then. And then, of course, gets me labeled a Nazi in the process, which is, of course, ironic because I just uh, uh, put out a a piece uh, debunking like the entirety of all their bullshit uh, interviewing John Medlar. And and then I had to argue with the Boston Globe and their executives for like a month just to get like a one line retraction. Finally, they did after, you know, kind of suggesting a lawsuit might be in order. Uh, but quite honestly, their one-line retraction a month and a half later, um, and also, by the way, after Chris Ferrone of the Weekly Dig, that was the real thing that put it over the line, is Chris Farone um, got wind of it. And he's like, well, you're going to be writing an article about these assholes. And so I did. And that was the only thing that really got the Boston Globe to actually print the truth, uh, even though they knew the goddamn truth. And uh, we went back and forth in, in private emails for for like a month. That's that's who the Boston Globe is.
0: Yeah, they haven't ever done a great job of covering any of these issues. I didn't realize that that had happened to you at the Boston Free Speech Rally, though, Rod. For some reason, um, were you there? Uh, well, Evan? yeah. Well,
2: the, I mean, they they basically tried to get me swatted. I yeah. Mean, that, I mean, the FBI the FBI showed up at my house. Um, I mean, the, I mean, clearly they were saying that Rod Webber is going to show up with an AIDS vest to blow everyone up. Rod Webber is a gay uh, anarchist, you know, who has bombs. It's just stuff, totally false stuff like that. Clearly, their objective was to get me swatted. This is right. and this is who Super Happy Fun America are. Um, and, you know, they, they spent the day uh, arguing with me and saying, oh, you know, we're not violent and, you know, trying to. Uh, give all this these bullshit reasons and even one of them made this debunking now with this video. But I'm monopolizing your time. Go back to the other stuff. I don't know. You asked me to call in. I, no, I, no, I, no, I um, th- that thought. was
1: good. And uh Rod, very quickly, where can people uh find you in the Twitterverse in case they want to f- uh, follow up on what you're doing in these issues? Uh
2: it would just be my name, just like anything else. It's Rod Weber, R O D W E B B E R and my YouTube is gone, so uh, the, the documentary is over on Vimeo now, which is also just my name.
1: All right, cool. Um, if you can, drop it in the uh, Facebook page. I don't know if that's technologically possible.
0: It's technologically possible. Right. We can uh, yeah, drop it, it in that.
1: there. Uh, Rod, appreciate you uh, calling in, testing out the tech as we get this thing started.
2: All right. Have fun. Bye, All
1: right, take Rod. All right. I-, I was going to ask him if he knew who Antifash Gordon was.
0: You're not supposed to ask that on the air. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> I was curious. I was hoping he was going to say that was his Twitter handle. It's like, ah, nice. Rod <laughs>
0: Webber is anti-Fash Gordon. You Actually, heard it here no, first, no, folks. No, we <laughs> watched
1: no. um, But for everyone who's going to be uh, listening to this later, uh, anti-Fash Gordon, if you're into the, i was called call it the space, um, uh, anti-fascist space, anti-faction, anti-fascist actions, he does a great job uh, doxing fascists in the greater Boston area. So I got turned on to him. Um, I have, I don't have plugs today. I have what I'm going to call celebrating wins, celebrations.
0: Oh wait, yeah, I think we celebrated some wins on this during this weekend when we should when we were in Brighton. I was going to say we should have been going to protest the pro ice people, but actually we were celebrating some big wins. But let's get to your wins first. So I'll get to our All right. wins.
1: All right, so I I have two that I wanted to highlight because it's Thanksgiving week again go spend time with your friends and family i'll still be answering emails for the dsaers who'll be listening to this but there's less events this week so instead i wanted to highlight two wins at the beginning of this show i brought up i was at a dorchester for sale meeting and two tenants spoke about their experience and really at the end of an 18 18 month legal battle these two gentlemen finally got to stay in their home. And they had a very similar experience to what happened in uh, Lauren's interview. Um, one of the stories Lauren, the renter horror story. We're going to think of the yeah. actual name for that. But really, they were just getting conned by their landlord. They were told they have to, um, they're being evicted. One of them just uh, got into a car accident the night before, doesn't have health insurance, just completely down on his luck. He went to a city life meeting on those Tuesdays that I keep talking about. And it took 18 months, but the highlights of it is, and uh, the two gentlemen spoke at the meeting I was at, and it was actually very powerful for somebody who's basically dead inside, doesn't feel emotions. Even I.
0: uh, Whoa. I know. Want to talk about it?
1: No, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But but as he championed, um, when we fight, we win. And he thanked, like, all the the community for helping him in Dorchester. And then also, obviously, City Life for giving the guidance. Because imagine an 18-month legal battle and you don't have a state-appointed attorney. City Life helped him. Yes. And City
0: Life is the reason he's still in his home. And City Life, we love you. I want to know you. I want to meet you. um, I want you on our show.
1: We will have some City Life people on the show. And then he also, I wanted to shout out the another group I'm part of, Dorchester Not For Sale, and it's a tenant group that helps get people connected with great people like City Life. So that was a big win for, for people to be able to stay in their home through a community fighting against landlords just doing whatever illegal uh, measures in the book. The second win along the theme of when we fight, we win is the Battery Wharf strike is over. Oh, yeah. So Boston DSA, um, we marched on the picket line in solidarity with them. I went to this like this one big big uh, you got to see Billy Bragg I got to hang out I'm so jealous I got to hang out with Billy Bragg I mean not really I stood next to him while he played so that was cool and so I'm just going to read you a brief synopsis after a 79 day strike the Battery Wharf Hotel voted unanimously on Friday to approve the new contract and it's a lot to be on strike for 79 days. As I think I mentioned in another segment, about 40 to 50% of American families can't afford a $500 one-time expenditure. And people have to draw on their savings accounts for things like this if they're lucky enough to have a savings account. And so like, it is a huge sacrifice to go on strike. But when we fight, we win. They all stood together. And they got some great gains that some of which you would just assume should just be standard, but they got a 37% increase in pension contributions. They got six weeks of paid maternity leave. They got a pay increase. They have a five-year job guarantee for immigrants if their protected status gets evoked because one of the reasons our immigration system is so jacked up is by design. So then people have to rely on visas, work visas. And if I have a work visa, I'm less likely to c- complain to my boss about things like sexual harassment. I'm less likely to go into my boss's office and ask for a raise. If my residency, me staying where I live is dependent on this job. So they got a five-year job guarantee for immigrants. If again, that's status revoked. And then one of the big things they got is an alert system for housekeepers in case they are, sexually assaulted on the job, which, again, is things that you would hope, but if you uh, follow labor actions, especially in the hotel industry, (laughs) sexual assault of the housing staff is a huge, huge issue, and they also now are going to be allowed to keep a registry of guests that are accused of sexual misconduct and possibly even banish them from the hotel. Or maybe
0: uh, press charges.
1: Or press charges. You'd think? So I didn't bring this up, but part of... Um, What it means to be a sanctuary city is it just lets people use the local law enforcement process to get things such as if I'm being sexually assaulted, I can press charges. uh, I'll highlight it another time, but one of the major reasons that people want to live in a quote-unquote sanctuary city or the consequences of not is if I'm being sexually assaulted and Maybe somebody in my family, and this does happen, like 16, 17-year-old uh, girls are being sexually assaulted. Somebody's getting sexually assaulted at their office, and they don't want to go to the police because they're afraid the police will talk to ICE. So instead, they just live with it. And that is the consequence of uh, living in the shadows. That is what people want. The uh, 11 million under That's what those people,
0: protesters who were supporting yeah. ICE actually want, yeah. is for people to not report their rapes because they're afraid of getting deported. Yeah. That's how much of it. A bunch of assholes they are.
1: And their brains are so cooked that for some reason they think that that keeps them safe. Yeah. It's... But, but, but no, it, it's really just so for things like that. So um, again, going back to the wins, shout out to um, the Battery Wharf hotel workers. You did an incredible job. It was an honor to pick it alongside of you.
0: Yeah, I'm jealous. I miss those ones, but it went on for quite a while. I'm glad they got It did,
1: 79 days. Yeah, it's a long time,
0: especially it starts to get cold. Um, We have a couple wins, or I've got a couple wins in my local district of Brighton uh, to talk about. We were just uh, at breakfast with uh, our new city councilor, Liz Breeden. I don't know, she hasn't been, she's serving yet, or she gets, she has to, she's elected. You have to be sworn in. Right, but we had a little breakfast, and uh, we were happy to see some people she appointed to be working for her, and one of them was our other friend, Lee Nave Jr. He is now her policy director. Which is awesome. I which so is happy. amazing. Um, awesome. Yeah, so happy for him, and so happy for the city of Brighton, and happy to be living in it with that team working together um, to better serve the community. They're far more focused on affordable housing than anyone else that's been representing that district has been in a long time, and... Uh, Lee's got enough policy wonky knowledge to Mm. certainly do the job. And then her campaign manager, Kate, is now chief of staff.
1: Yeah, which is awesome. She's amazing. And um, Michelle Wu is going to be gearing up to challenge Marty Walsh in 2021. And she is good on housing. She's called for the abolishment of the BPDA. And Liz is going to push her even more left.
0: I really hope so. You know, I, I do. Michelle Wu, I like her. I like her, but there's issues. And...
1: I'm not going to get into it's the Michelle than, Wu episode right now. Yeah, we, we, there will be an episode
0: won't. on that. Maybe we can push her more towards our side in the long run. I hope so. Um, but still better than Marty, that's for sure.
1: Oh, yeah. It would definitely be an increase, but we'll, we'll talk about uh, – I'm trying now to give her – I can't to wait out. to
0: cover that mayoral Michelle. run.
1: That'll be fun. Um, all right. I have no more plugs. You want to tell people how they can support the show?
0: Are you telling me what to do?
1: I am just asking if you'd like to. Yeah, I would like Otherwise, to. Otherwise, I'm going to my, my deep archives here. Well, what's in your archives? I'm oh, curious. No, Let's <laughs> not go into
0: his archives. Let's save that for another episode. Anyway, we've been uh, Renters Radio. This is like our third episode, um, November 25th. We'll be back next week, Monday, 9 p.m. You can follow us, like us, support us in a bunch of ways. Um, you can, you know, we're on Twitter, Facebook. Instagram at renters radio. Donate to our pa- Patreon. Patreon.com Patreon.com slash Renters Radio. Also like and subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes and Spotify and a bunch of other stuff as Renters Radio. Um, leave us a review. Reviews are really important to get up there. So just even a couple sentences of that were awesome. We'll five get up stars. to Yeah. Five, five stars in a review to support us. Uh, email us at Rentersradio at gmail.com if you have any stories or contributions or ideas or just want to be heard on the show. This show is for you too. We always love guest input, um, especially somebody besides Rod Weber, though we love Rod Weber also. Um, and we'll be back next week at 9 p.m. and hopefully we'll be covering the Harvard strike. So stay tuned.
1: Well, hopefully Harvard uh, caves and meets the demands before the strike happens. Assuming that's definitely not going to happen.
0: But we can also cover that.
1: Oh, but you can go to the picket lines with me on December 3rd, the following day.
0: Is that a date?
1: Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. We'll be back next week. We're Renters Radio. Bye-bye.